You're listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net. And thanks for joining us. So once again, welcome this morning. And for those of you who are joining us online, either live or watching or listening to this as a recording in the future, thank you so much for being a part of our family as well. I am going to sneak in what I call a couple stealth highlights because there are things that are going on in the life of our church that I just very much want to invite you in to be a part of. And Adler, bring my clicker back, please, if you would. Um, And as he does so, um, we will talk about some of those things. The first is I I get two questions often. The first is, um, when is Jesus coming back? Because somehow people think I know that. And I don't know, what I do know is he is coming back and we're gonna remember and celebrate that in the passages that we'll talk about this morning. But the second question that follows it is, when's the cafe gonna open? And I have great news for you. Our cafe is opening next Sunday after being closed for a year and a half. Yeah, we're gonna see our attendance triple in in person starting next Sunday. So I would never ask you to do anything, repent Adler, that's all I have to say to you, thank you. I would never ask you to do something I wouldn't do myself, so I made sure that I got a test coffee this morning, and it's very good, as usual. So in celebration of our cafe opening next Sunday, we will have free small mochas or drinks or whatever for all of you who want to show up and go see that and go get that. So we just want to let you know about that. Secondly, we are also in a season where we're going to be adding some elders to our elder team. We are in a season where we have some elders um, who are, um, have served us for many years. And again, our elders don't serve in terms. They serve as long as they are feeling called and able to fulfill that calling. But one in particular is going to be stepping down this next season, and that's um, Steve Matthews. Steve has served with us for a number of years, but he has told us it's time to retire his number. And so we're going to be doing that as well as our, our own Gary Brashears, as you know, is um, on this this cancer journey right now, and and to quote Gary, there's an asterisk next to my name. We don't know what the future holds, so we would be wise to plan for everything. So we are also going to be adding another elder there, possibly as well. But we're looking for two, at least two um, elders to join our team this next season. So what this looks like is we don't hire elders. That's not how things happen, in a sense, and we don't choose them. We recognize them. These are biblically qualified men who are already a part of our life of our church and serving here and available here. And so what we want to ask you to do is to prayerfully consider this and think about those men who you have contact with in your life who you think fulfill the elder qualifications of 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1 and to suggest their names. For those of you who are watching online, you can literally scan that QR code and it will pull up that form that you see next to it on the screen. For those of us here in person, we have these forms on the back resource table. We encourage you to grab one. We're going to be asking you to consider this and to submit names in the next couple weeks, and then we'll move our process forward from there, and we'll talk to you more about that as that continues. So just wanted to let you know that. So with all that being said, I'd like to pray one more time for God to continue to meet us here and to speak to us from his word. Lord, I thank you for each person who's watching and listening to this, and Lord, we thank you that we get to worship the one true God. And we thank you that you are the God who reveals yourself to us through your word. So Lord, would we have eyes to see you, ears to hear you, and hearts willing to respond to what you would have for us here this morning. We commit this time to you in Jesus' name, 
Amen. So, as we dive into God's word this morning, there's just a couple things I want to call your attention to, and you've probably noticed them already. To my right here is a sword, and it is a real sword, and to the left here is a fork, and yes, it is a plastic fork. So, what does a sword, a plastic fork, and a 14-year-old story have to do with where we're going in God's word this morning? I am glad you asked, because we're going to get to that a little bit later, because this morning we are finishing our This We Believe series that we've been in, and I have so enjoyed this series, and it has been so meaningful for me personally to once again remind myself and to see why do we believe the things that we do about God, about community, about ourselves, and to go back and look in God's Word where these realities come from. And this morning, we are celebrating the reality that Jesus is the blessed hope. And this is what we're looking at in our statement of faith, in our doctrinal statement, if you want to call that. We're going to look at several pieces of what you see here. But this final statement in our statement of faith says this, every human being will experience bodily resurrection. Unbelievers will experience the punishment of continuous separation from God. True believers in Christ will experience the joy of everlasting existence with God initially in heaven and ultimately on the new earth, and there's some of the passages that reference that. And this is where we're going this morning, and there's many places we could go in God's word that speak to these realities, but we're gonna start our time in God's word in Titus chapter two. And just for disclosure, Titus is one of my most favorite books in the New Testament. And oftentimes I'm asked, what is your favorite book in the New Testament? And really, it usually is whatever book or letter I find myself in is what I would usually say is my favorite, but I really do enjoy Titus for many reasons, and one of those being that it is very applicable and practical as all of God's word is, in fairness, But for me, there's just so many things that resonate from the book of Titus for my life, and I hope that will be true for you this morning as well. So I'd like to read this passage, and then we're going to talk about how it relates to those spiritual realities we just read from our statement of faith. So understand that in the arc of what Paul is communicating here to Titus in this letter that he wrote him, he just finished in this section talking about how various groups in the church are to live out their relationship with Jesus, and then he goes on to say this, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own eager to do what is good. And really, the first thing we once again need to anchor ourselves to and and make sure that we understand is this reality of grace. What is grace? And this is a, a working definition. God's unearned love, freely given for the sake of right relationship with him and others and empowerment for life and service. And that is an incredible spiritual reality. It's one of the many different things that differentiates and separates Christianity, what the Bible teaches from every other religion in worldview. 
Because an empty religion, somehow in some way you were told that you need to seek God. And if you go and look up the definition of religion, that's, that's what it will say is somehow people, humanity seeking, seeking God through this or that. But that's not what the Bible teaches. The God of the Bible comes looking for you. And he comes looking for me. And he offers us right relationship with him and others, not because of our resume, not because of our behavior, but because of his resume, because of who he is. There is this incredible exchange that takes place through this amazing grace that we sing about and talk about that's offered to every single one of us where realities like 2 Corinthians 5.21 say, but God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, he takes my brokenness, but he takes my sin, my selfishness, and he removes that from me. And in its place, he offers me his grace, his power for right relationship with him and others. He offers you and me his righteousness for those who will respond to that. And it is the great reversal of all that is selfish and broken. Right relationship with God restored. Right relationship with others restored. Right relationship with self. Right relationship with land. It is the reversal of the wreckage of sin. And that is why, my friends, he is the blessed hope. And he can be your blessed hope. But you have to respond. So that's what his grace is about. And he offers it to everyone. And we need to stop and pause and really do business with that. Titus just declared that this amazing grace is extended to all people. You believe that? I do. I absolutely believe that. But sometimes I struggle with that. Sometimes by my actions, I don't believe that. Because when it comes to God's grace, we all want it for ourselves. I mean, at the end of the day, we all want God's grace and everything that comes with it. But we're not so sure we want to extend it to everybody else. You see, many years ago, something came forth in my family that has forever changed my family, and it's something that, that we deal with on a regular basis. Just to remind you, I am the youngest of six. I have five sisters, three half-sisters, two, two other sisters. And many years ago, one of those sisters came forward in her hurt and heartache to tell us that a neighbor that had been trusted by our family had abused her. And I can't tell you how difficult that has been for her and, and for our family. And again, I know that there are a number of you who have impacted by, by similar, similar heartache, and my, my goal is not to add to your pain, but, but we have to do some business with this. So God extends his grace 
to people like this neighbor who horrifically wronged my sister and my family, the wreckage of which, which has been something she's had to deal with and will have to deal with her entire life? God extends grace to that guy? Once again, it necessarily surfaces the question, do we really believe this? Are you serious? This guy deserves God's grace? No, absolutely not. But neither do I. And neither do you. And please understand, grace is never a license for sin and selfishness. It doesn't excuse it, and it doesn't look past the continuation of it. In fact, grace is the escape from sin. It is the way out of sin. But it is not something to be taken advantage of or, or, or thrown aside. And yes, is my family hurt? Are we angry? All those emotions that would come along with this. Absolutely we are. Of course we are. And we have to do business with those things. And again, this is not a sermon on forgiveness. We could spend many sermons on forgiveness, but we do need to steer into this for a minute. I wonder if the person who said forgive and forget had ever really been wronged by someone else. Because it's this pithy statement that gets thrown out there, but is that really how forgiveness works? And now we're talking Jay, not Bible, but I think I'm on pretty solid ground with this, biblically. But I don't think forgiveness is about forgetting. I think it's all about remembering, quite honestly. And what we remember. We don't excuse that which was inflicted on us. We don't excuse sin. We don't excuse what is wrong. We're not trying to be disingenuous and call a good thing, call a bad thing good. It has nothing to do with this. This is actually an authentic, real way to face into sin, especially sin that's been perpetuated against us or someone we love. We don't marinate in the anger and the pain and the angst, but we do have to do business with it We absolutely don't have to deny those things. It is a process, and too many times it's oversimplified, the whole process of forgiveness. But what we do remember is this. Realities like Colossians chapter 3, verse 13 that say, forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. Do you know who knows how to forgive? People who themselves recognize and realize they've been forgiven. Now, this doesn't make the consequences or impact of sin go away. But it does help us do business with this reality. The very grace that has rescued me from my sinfulness, my selfishness, the very grace that's been extended to you is extended to everyone. But we might reasonably say But there has to be accountability. And don't we hear that in our culture all the time these days? It's everywhere. There must be accountability. There must be accountability. And accountability and grace are really interesting things. We all want God's grace, but we're a little reluctant to extend it to those who we don't think deserve it. We all want accountability as long as it's for the other person and not us. Isn't that interesting? And the reality is, 
This neighbor is long gone. He died many years ago. I don't know where he was at spiritually when he died. I don't know where he was at with the one true God. And if he did not repent, if he did not respond, then absolutely he's, he's going to be held accountable for that. And this is what that picture looks like as we look at this passage. We're going to jump back to Matthew chapter 25. We went through this in our Matthew series. You can go back and listen to this specific sermon. And remember the context of this is Jesus is describing what's going to happen when he comes back. And this is what he says. Then he will say to those on the left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. They will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? And he will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Now, a couple things with that. Number one, what this is essentially saying, again, as we remember the context of what Jesus was talking about, is if you know and love and worship him as God, then your life is going to reflect that. Because you see, all the time we throw around this word belief and it gets oftentimes diluted in our language and in our culture. But in the Bible, belief is always married to action. If you say you believe something, then you will live it out. You will think it, you will live it, you will do it or not do it. And that's what's being said here is by your very actions, you have proven who or what you worship and how you are living your life and what you really truly believe in. And I know this is not popular in our day and age, but the reality is God will judge sin and ultimately destroy evil. That is going to happen. It's not a question of if, it's a question of when. And this is this fusion of God's sovereignty, his power, his control, and human choice. You see, if you and I want to make life all about us, which in many ways is the essence of sin, if we want to make life all about us, if we want to live selfishly, if we want to make things all about us, then that's exactly, eventually, what he will let us do. Because you see, God's grace comes to us again and again, and he offers to rescue us from that and to give us something better. And if we continue to say no, 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 eventually there is an end to those chances. And God doesn't send people to hell on his own. He sends people to hell who choose to go there. People go to hell because they choose to go there. And the second to the last act of judgment is when someone says, I'm going to make life about me. I'm not going to worship you. I'm not going to love you. I'm not going to believe you. Then God turns them over to their brokenness. He gives them exactly what they want. And then the final act of judgment is this judgment that we read about here. And all sin is an affront to God. All sin is offensive to God. But there are certain sins God hates more than others. And there are levels of punishment in this judgment. I'll give you just two examples. Matthew chapter eleven twenty four. 24, Jesus is saying here to Capernaum, 
which saw more miracles, had more exposure to his teaching than any other town because it was kind of home base for Jesus in his ministry. He's telling them, I tell you that it'll be more bearable for Sodom, a reference back to Genesis on the day of judgment than for you. You had more chances to repent, more chances to turn to me, more chances to accept and receive my grace, and you slapped my hand away again and again and again. You had more chances than anyone else, so you will be held and punished more severely for that. Or in Romans, it says, because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you were storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. God will repay each person according to what they have done. This is in the context, once again, of judgment, of those who time and time again choose to refuse to respond to God's grace. And ultimately, that accountability will come when Jesus comes back a second time. If we skip to the book of Revelation, where it describes what's going to happen, this is what's going to happen when Jesus comes back. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following behind him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword, which he will use to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty, and on his robe and on his thigh he has this name written. And I saw an angel standing in the sun who cried in a loud voice to all the birds flying in midair, come, gather together for the great supper of God so that you may eat the flesh of kings and generals and of the mighty and horses and riders and the flesh of all the people free and slave, great and small. What a profoundly dark picture. And I know this is hard to talk about and hard to hear. But when Jesus comes back, it will be with one of these. And this is this incredibly grim picture of all these people who time and time again have refused God's grace, who have continued in their evil, who have continued to abuse and take advantage of and wrong and to choose not to turn from that. And this is actually a reverse thanksgiving See, this next week, we're all going to gather around and we're going to eat the bird. At this feast, the birds all gather around and they eat those who do not repent. It's a horrible, awful picture, and it is a feast you do not want to be a part of. But it also means that as part of that process, God ultimately destroys evil, and all wrongs are made right. And the great reversal of sin is fully completed. And I know this is hard to talk about, but my friends, in each one of us, and necessarily so, it resonates deeply that evil has to be destroyed. This broken, selfish world where people wrong one another, abuse one another, take advantage of one another, you fill in the blank. It's not always going to be this way. And I'll tell you, when that comes your way, where you are on the receiving end of any of that, you begin to realize, God, please, please make this end. It is going to end. 
And yet in the midst of this, this grim picture of judgment is once again this incredible picture of grace that we don't have to settle for evil. We don't have to settle for selfishness. We don't have to settle for, for the ugliness of sin in any one of us. There is an escape from that, and it is, once again, the grace of God. And this, my friends, is a feast that you want to be at because this precedes that picture of judgment. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder shouting, hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. A couple weeks ago, I told you about this, this camp that I used to get, be a part of in high school. It was called a raft rally where we take all these high school students. I went as a student myself in those years down to the chutes and we raft the river, but we'd also introduce them to this amazing God. And for the freshmen who went to that camp who had never been there or for you know, sophomores, juniors, and seniors, it was their first time coming to that camp. After the first meal, there was always this cryptic thing that was said hang on to your fork. Make sure you don't throw your fork away. And for those who had never been to this camp, I was like, well, why are you telling us that? What's that have to do with? Those of us who had been there, we knew exactly what that was about. Because what followed the supper, the dinner, the lunch? Dessert. Save your fork for dessert. What's the best party you've ever been to? the best celebration you've ever been a part of. For those of us who know and love Jesus, who have responded to his grace, who have received him into our lives, who have crossed over from death to life, who worship him and love him and long for his return, when he does come back, not a question of if, but when he does, this is what's gonna happen for those who love him. It's gonna be the best party you've ever been to. It's gonna be a celebration like no other Who do you think invented parties and celebrations? Don't you think the author of that is gonna throw the best one ever? And there are some scholars who believe that this feast, this party, this celebration, when Jesus is reunited with his bride, the church, us, is gonna last a thousand years. You ever been to a thousand year party? Liar, of course you haven't. It's gonna be an amazing celebration and you and I get to be there and can be there. So save your fork and look forward to what's coming because God will reward and bless those who trust and obey him. When Jesus comes back, there's gonna be two judgments. We've already heard about the first. Evil's gonna be destroyed. Satan and those who serve him are gonna be judged and condemned and rightfully so, but there's gonna be a second judgment for us as his followers. But understand, this is not a judgment about our salvation or our justification or being declared not guilty or being in right relationship with God. Again, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This isn't about punishment. This second judgment is about reward. It's talked about all over in scripture. Here's one place. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due 
us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. This letter was written to Jesus' followers. He's talking to us. And there is gonna be this incredible judgment of reward. And just like there are different levels of punishment, there are also different levels of reward. We looked at this. We looked at this reality in the Gospel of Matthew as well. In Matthew 25, the very same chapter that talks about judgment also talks about the talents. Remember that parable? Remember that story? And people were rewarded based on what they did with what God gave them. And it wasn't this attitude, this vibe of, oh boy, I hope I measure up. It was exactly the opposite. It's a picture of a God who wants to bless, wants to reward, wants to celebrate, wants his children to trust and obey him and and experience all that he has for them. Frankly, it reminds me of some really practical, helpful parenting advice that Jamie and I got so many years ago when we started to, to have our kids. Someone very wise who had gone ahead of us in parenting once told us and encouraged us and exhorted us, you look for opportunities to bless your kids. You look for opportunities to reward them. And that was a game changer for me in my parenting, was was how can I reward my kids? How can I bless them for trusting and obeying? How can I enrich them, catch them doing something that is honoring to God, honoring to others, and encouraging that and blessing and blessing that. That's the heart of a father who loves his kids. Isn't that the heart of our father who loves us as his kids? This God wants to bless our lives. No good deed will go unrewarded. So do you believe that? Because once again, as we think about biblical belief, if you believe that, you will live that. It will reveal itself in how you respond to God, how you trust him, that this is a God who is for us, who loves us, who wants to bless his kids, who wants to reward them. And so he calls us away from this life of selfishness because ironically, the very thing we're looking for, the joy and happiness and fulfillment we're looking for is not found in making life all about us. Selfishness is not the path to discover that and experience that and find that. Ironically, ironically, the path to joy and fulfillment in part comes from serving others not about serving yourself. And again, living out this relationship with God is always a response to what he has done for us. Why do we serve other people by way of example? Because Christ has first served us. What has he done for you? What has he done for me? And in response to that then, the way we've been loved, the way we've been served, we can love and serve others. That's our motivation. And if that wasn't enough, this amazing God then is gonna reward us for it. He not only gives us the empowerment, which is the other side of that grace reality that we looked at, he wants to reward us for doing the very thing he promises he will reward us for. So once again, I present to you to me and to you, because as Matt rightfully said many weeks ago, when we preach these messages, we're preaching them to ourselves as well. Do I really believe that in how I live my life? Do you? Do you serve others the way Christ has served you? Because he wants to bless you. Because he wants to reward you. You know, 
Gabe last week in calling us to be the church, in reminding us of our identity as the church, of what it means to be in community. Part of being in community is serving, serving one another. And there are so many of you who get this. So, so many of you. And again, I understand there are seasons where you can't necessarily do this or things that are going on in your life. But by and large, if this community, if you love this community, if you're a part of this community, at some point you're gonna roll up your sleeves and you're gonna serve this community and the community out there that does not know him yet. And so many of you, so many of you get this. But there are some very practical ways that you can roll up your sleeves and serve in this community. We have this really good problem right now as a church that we need more people serving because people are beginning to come back to in-person community, not just here on Sunday mornings. We have students who are coming back to our midweek programming. We have children who are coming back to our midweek program. As the Adler reminded us in highlights, We have this great opportunity to continue to serve our kids, but the reality is if we don't have more people choose to roll up their sleeves this next winter quarter, we're not gonna be able to do Kids Quest, our midweek program, because we just simply don't have enough folks serving to do that. And again, I understand we're, we're still in this COVID, hopefully coming out of it, whatever that looks like, and I understand that, you know, there are concerns with that, and not all of you feel like you can, and that we get that, but... There are many of you who can, and we're inviting you into the life of the church. But, but, but not just there. Man, pick up that serve card that Adler called your attention to. There's so many ways that you can, you can serve here. And of course, this corporate way with Advent conspiracy. So again, why, why would we do this? Many of you know that this, this last week, my, my mom has been in the hospital over at Providence St. Vincent's. She was in the hospital about nine days. We just transferred her to rehab. But many years ago, when I was serving at the, the church that I came from, Village, on the west side of town, I was the community care pastor for a good season of that. And literally, there were weeks, every day, sometimes multiple times a day, I was in Providence St. Vincent. I know that hospital. And for those of you who have been there, when you walk down the hallway, you get to see the history and they have these pictures and it talks about where the beginnings of that hospital were and how it's grown and become what it is. And it was founded by some, some Catholic sisters. And it says that the motivating motto for why this hospital was birthed, what was the vision through tremendous adversity and difficulty that established this hospital that serves our community today was this. It's a quote out of 2 Corinthians 5.14 that says, the love of Christ compels us. Once again, living out this relationship with God that he calls us to is always a response to what he's already done for us that we then live out with other people. And again, we serve others. We love others because Christ has served us. I love to hear what God is teaching you, what he's doing in your life. And of course, I welcome hearing your stories where there's struggle and heartache and difficulty. I I get all that. And so this is a shameless plug that you will continue 
to send me your stories or send the elders and pastoral staff your stories because we love to hear what, what God is doing and we love to walk with you through all of life. This is a story that came into me this last February and I saved it in one of my inboxes waiting for the appropriate time to share this with you. And so the context for this is this took place about 14 years ago. And this individual sent me their story. And so I want to read this story to you because I think it ties together so many things that we've talked about here today. It says, hello, Pastor Jay. I have felt a tug lately to drop you a line to say hi and to share some things with you. If you don't recognize my name, that's totally all right. But I was going to Grace probably 11 or 12 years ago. It was actually 14 as I did my math. But now I cannot recall for certain who the speaker was, but there was one particular sermon about the wedding supper of the Lamb, which we've talked about. And in the entryway, there were boxes of plastic forks for everyone to take, and you know where this is going. And the teaching ended with, do you want to be there for that wedding supper, for that celebration? Then take a fork to remind you of what's coming. I took that fork. I still have it to this day. I wish I could say that the next years were all awesome years, but they weren't. They were very difficult years. Even though I met with some other people who loved Jesus, there was still enough sin knocking at my door. I just didn't have the tools to deal with it. I fell into depression at times, anxiety at others. I was going back and forth because I wasn't sure about my faith, and God seemed so distant to me at times. Other times, it was just judgment and darkness. I remember one time leaving Grace, our church, and thinking all they do is talk about Jesus. Guilty as charged. May that never change, right? One day, things broke. I came after class and fell to the ground and sobbing, I cried out loud, God, why do you hate me? For what seemed like the first time in my life, the Spirit of God spoke directly to my heart and my soul and said, I don't hate you, I love you. But from there it was hard to accept at first. If this was love, it didn't look like it to me. But I eventually started checking out churches. I found an ad on Craigslist for a little church plant in West Lynn looking for a drummer, so I found my way into that church. And then I heard more and more about Jesus, God's love for the world, the reality of sin, the hope of repentance, the work of the Holy Spirit. After many conversations around my buddy Jake's kitchen table, who happened to be the worship leader at that church, and years of Bible reading, God finally showed me the path of grace, that my sin separated me from him, but that he offered the free gift of salvation from death apart from anything I would do. So I turned from my sin in wrong ways and put my trust in Jesus, and I was baptized September 29th, 2013. And ever since then, it's been an amazing, difficult journey. I've lost friends. I've known hardship with family members who don't believe. I've gotten ridicule from coworkers. I even have faced divorce. My now ex-wife did not want to follow Jesus and asked me to let her go. But through it all, God has been faithful to his word to never leave or forsake me. I don't say this to brag, but to boast in the Lord and to give him all the glory. I have known incredible sadness which the Lord has used to show me, to show others the way of compassion. And I've known a taste of his infinite joy so that I can share it with others. I hope this message encourages you and others at grace to keep going, to press ahead, 
to not grow weary in doing good. We could never truly know this side of heaven how our words and deeds will affect others around us for the good of the kingdom and for the souls of the lost and hurting and broken people. Thank you, Pastor Jay and Grace Community Church for being a part of my story of faith. So what is your story? Do you know this amazing God? Have you received him into your life? Are you following him? And if you know that, do you truly believe he wants to reward and bless your life? Well, let's sing about this realities. And then we have a couple folks who are going to get baptized. Thank you for joining us for Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church here in Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net.